Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 21st, 2017. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Uh, you know, over the years, we've kind of had conversations about and I think we've even put it in the magazine a few times, when is it right to introduce poker to children, you know, or your kids or grandkids or nephews or whatever it is? Because I think it's when we assign gender to them. <laughs> well, you want to you keep once, going with once that? Once the child's old enough to say, hey, I'm a man or a woman, they, they should be able to play poker. That's just the way I feel. When they're ready, when they've decided... So you have to ask them, we assign it or they assign it? They assign no, it. No, no, they assign it now. Right, so not when we assign So that when they decide they're adults, whatever adult they want to be. Oh, no, not adults. You not adults? You need to be an adult to decide what gender you are. Oh, mean. okay. So whenever they're ready. Yes, exactly. Um, well, we had to know whether they can enter ladies' events or not, right? That's true. But when I was uh, a few years ago, uh, my, my granddaughter wanted to learn how to play poker and she was really young. And I said to her, hey, uh, there's, a, there's a game you can learn right away where you don't have to really worry about what beats what and all that stuff. And it's called Raz. And I taught her how to play that. And then she started with that. But she's like, you know what? I want, I want more than that. I said, how about Deuce of Seven Triple Draw Global? <laughs> because, you know, and she's like, yeah. So she loved that game. And I taught her that game. So now, as the family gets older, we have more grandkids coming up the ranks, and uh, my uh, my grandson came to the house uh, a couple weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, and the deck of cards was out on the table, and he's like, "Hey, can you can you teach me how to play poker? Because we play blackjack with the kids a lot, you know, just joking around, and because it's easier to hey, how to get a twenty-one, or and they like another game called thirty-one, so." Um, I was like, well, you're probably the right age. I said, but, and I started with the, do you want to learn like the simple game uh, where you don't have to worry about it? And he's like, no, no. I want to know what beats what, and I want to play with the one that's on TV. And I was like, oh, all right, so you want to learn Texas Hold'em? And he says, yeah, yeah, that's the one that you and Daddy always play, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I want, I want to play that. So I was like, all right, well, I got to teach you what beats what. And he says, okay. So we go through the thing, and you know I've got a lot of experience teaching 101 in our court and our cruise and stuff. So it's pretty much second nature. I just go through the whole what beats what with him and pull out the deck, and I make all the hands for him. And he got it pretty quickly. I mean, he 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 understood really quickly what beats what, and uh, I was very impressed. So um, I get to a royal flush, and he's like, "That's the best one." I said, "Yeah." He said, "I can't wait." And I said, "Well, let me tell you, you could play your whole life and never get one." I said, "It's it's like." you know, 40-something thousand to one, whatever, you'd be dealt one or whatever. And so I started explaining him how, how hard it was to get one. And so 
we played a couple of tournaments, and he's done really well. He's actually outlasted at least one adult in every little tournament we play together, like on Sundays when we see the family and stuff or whatever. And he actually survived to heads up once against me. Um, and so he he's actually getting He's only like eight. Um, nine. He's nine. So uh, I'm having a lot of fun with him. But what I said to him was, hey, you know what? You're you're never going to see a royal flush, you know, forever. It takes forever. I think I've seen – I think I've made maybe two my entire life, you know. Um, and I've, I've only made one live. I think I made one online and one live. So – and he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's it's very difficult. I haven't seen one. I can't remember the last time I saw one. So later that night, uh, I'm at home, um, and it's really late. And so sometimes I like to go on Stars and play Play Money so that I have enough to play in the the papes when they come around, make sure I have enough money and stuff. <laughs> and about, I don't know, about 20 minutes into the session, I got to tell Ace Jack of Diamonds and the flop came trap hand. huh trap hand oh yeah i know i was in the blinds and the flop came king diamonds queen of diamonds so i'm like oh i got a chance at a royal out there i just told him that so somebody bets i call and the turns a 10 of diamonds i turn a royal flush right so i said you've got to be kidding me i mean literally within hours of me telling him this that you're never going to see one in your lifetime and that you, you could have been born eight years, nine years ago and up until now never seen one playing every day of your life. And I got one, like, within hours of seeing him. So I said, this is crazy. The next hand, I get, like, rags, I fold, and I'm playing Zoom. So I get literally the, the next hand after that. I get queen ten of clubs. I... I'm not in the blinds anymore, but I call, I just limp. Flop comes, ace, king of clubs, rag. Somebody bets, I call, someone else calls, turns a jack of clubs. I turned a royal in two out of three hands. <laughs> and in both hands, they bet into me, turn and river, and I got paid off. Scott, I know we don't really have a lot of conversations with the binary bunch anymore. Those guys kind of faded. We used to have, you know, Rant and, and Gundam and stuff. And But I, I can't believe that I made one just a few hours after I talked to my grandson and said, you're never going to see one. And then I made one a hand after that. Two out of three hands, I turned royals. Legit royal flushes. One in clubs, one in diamonds. What are the odds? We need to have the binary bunch. If anyone on there listening... Someone's got to tell us the odds. I don't even know how to figure those out. I don't know how to figure out any odds. That's why. Oh, absolutely. Very easy. Hold on. Carry the one. (laughs) I. One to one. (laughs) So every time you're playing. Because you're online. So it's rigged. So that's right. I tell you, I'm never going to put a dime online. Not that it's rigged, but I'm just I'm too scared to play online anymore. I don't know if you can even divide by pi. I just made that up. Maybe you can't. You can divide. Um, no, it, it, it's actually. I mean, that, that's really fascinating. Um, even online, and even online play money, um, that that would happen. Um, less fascinating that you just told your uh, your grandson this earlier, but um, because you know, again, it's all a matter of volume of play, right? So he's played three days in his life, right? Yeah. yeah. You've played a little bit more than three days in your life. Yeah, a few more. Yeah, so, 
you know, and again, it you know, random just doesn't come in spurts. It's not like you know, you get pocket aces once every what two hundred some hands. Right. Um, it's it's not like clockwork. You can't set your clock to it. I'm like, okay, it's coming, it's coming. Doing twenty hands, the next hand I'm getting pocket aces. <laughs> Here it comes. It's gonna be good, <laughs> right? So I mean, you can get them like three times in a row, and then not get them for the next three months. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting when it happens that way, but again. There's nothing really that odd about it when you really think about it. I, I guess, but there's got to be, you know, like they, whenever they, I remember reading the the, the Brunson Todd Brunson chapter study, and he he shows you the odds, and they they put the like 42 times that, and 41 times that, and you know they they do all the little parentheses and all that stuff, and they figure out odds of like hands coming and stuff. And I I just gotta tell you, I I just have no clue how to figure this out, but it, it's got to be. I mean, it, okay, so we know like we know what the overall number is of being dealt it or getting one or whatever. But what are the odds of getting it two out of three hands? That's the thing. Is it still just the same odds, or does it change because of the the ratio of how close they are to each other? Or is it like roulette where every single oh, yeah. time? Well, again, yeah, I mean, we're talking about you know the the length of a lifetime here in terms of the odds of getting it. So yeah, when you say now you're shortening the lifespan to you're a mayfly now, <laughs> you're only <laughs> alive for three days for three hands. Uh, yeah, the odds of getting two of the hardest to get hands in those three hands is pretty astronomical. Yeah, that was it was phenomenal. But as I will tell you in roulette, the odds of it always being black for four days solid, you know, 3,000 rolls, <laughs> is incredibly rare, right? Yeah. The amount of payoff for betting on black, every single one of those hands, same payout. Yeah. Doesn't change. It doesn't change. So when these people show up and, you know, whoever that was that, that put that little um, – uh, you don't go to casinos much anymore, but uh, you know the little uh, uh, display that shows the last twenty rolls. Yeah, I've seen those. Those are on the ship and stuff too. That guy or woman is a genius because yep. that just plays right into that superstition. People said, "Oh my god, look, it's been dead black. Oh my god, it's got to be red next time." <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's the same odds. <laughs> but if you want to calculate the odds of ten rolls in a row being black, that's a different story. So. Um, so I'm in, duly impressed with your story. I'm not as in, really as impressed with the math, that, uh, or, or not as impressed in finding out the math as you are. Yeah, I, I gotta know. <laughs> I gotta know if that means something. Two out of three heads, you get royals. I gotta well, know. Well, probably what you're gonna have to do then is you're gonna have to start finding some other poker podcast. One that uh, is extremely math heavy, which means it's extremely boring. Yeah. Um, and then start listening, and then hope that they allow uh, reader listener feedback like we do, right? And then get uh, on that show, and then <laughs> the binary bunch will hear it because that's the show they're listening to now instead of ours. Yeah, yeah. No problem. So you yeah, guys, all your problems. thanks, buddy. <laughs> Much appreciated. <laughs> all right, Martin Lando, who played Professor Petrovsky in Rounders, Gin, always Gin. <laughs> Died this week at age 89 on his last credits is a movie yet to debut called The Last Poker Game. So we haven't seen the last of Lando in a poker movie. I was glad you put this on the file. I was going to suggest it. Um, I, I feel bad because there's no chance of him being in a sequel of Rounders if there ever is going to be one. Well, no. Hey, they have all like this cut footage and stuff now. They can do anything now. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. And then, and then the other thing, too, is like I had written that sequel myself for the magazine that time and 
he was part of it, you know, or he, and he killed off his wife, right? He killed or, off his wife, and he now it's the other way around. Maybe his wife yeah. is uh, the one who plays in the sequel. Yeah, maybe she's vodka, always vodka. <laughs> maybe that's why she's never there drinking with him at the bar. That's right. That's why he's always alone. <laughs> that's sad, though. It's sad. Um, I think it was interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, he had a very distinguished career. He has in a lot of great movies. Um, I remember him from Rounders. That's the first thing when I see him. Like, oh, well, uh, Petrovsky died, right? Yeah. And none of the articles that I read, I read, and I guess only three. It wasn't like I read every single article out there, but I only read three, and none of them ever mentioned Rounders. I know. Didn't even make the obit. I know. I said the same thing when I it was on IMDb. I was looking at it, and I was like, "What? Where's where's the Rounders reference?" And he wasn't really a bit part in that movie. I mean, he was he wasn't obviously Teddy KGB or Mike McDermott a worm level, right? right. But uh, but he was uh, an important part of that movie, right? For a lot of scenes too. Yep. So yep. so I don't know whether that means that writers just didn't really care about Rounders as much as we do. I'm sure that's part of it. Um, or whether all these other movies uh, in 89 years on this planet uh, were more substantial than uh, than Rounders. But I thought it was interesting it wasn't in. And then, um, you know, I'm glad I checked on the IMDb. I was actually linked in one of, um, one of the articles. So I'm like, ah, I'll check and see what else is. And that's when I saw this last poker game. So apparently he plays um, – you know, a retired uh, guy in a nursing home. I think his wife's died, so um, it might have been co-written by you, for all we know. <laughs> uh, and then uh, strikes up a friendship with somebody else, and uh, he, he likes playing poker, and I guess teaches his other guy poker, something like that. That That's kind of the gist of it. Um, but uh, but the, well, we don't know when it's going to come out yet, so um, now we're going to have to put that on our list. So. Yes, I will watch it as a tribute to him. I would watch it anyway, but because he's in it now, I'll definitely watch it. Yeah. Well, sad. sad he's gone. Sad he's gone. He had a great career, though, and yeah, he had a, a bunch of other great movies, too. So I don't even like gin, but I'll probably have gin tonight. Now. <laughs> it's like a pine tree. I don't get it. But. Yeah, I don't, I don't drink, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, World Series updates. Uh, we, have our no- we have our November 9 now, and play will resume tomorrow, which is Thursday in our universe because we're recording early because I'm traveling, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Scott Bloomstein is the chip leader with more than 97 million. God, I would love to be in a tournament where I have 97 million chips, right? <laughs> yeah. I almost feel like we should do a home game tournament where we all start with 10 million chips. Just so we can get to that point. Just so there's a chance that one of us gets the 97 million. Uh, and he's also the youngest player left at age 25. Second in chips is the oldest player at the table, 64-year-old John Hess, and that automatically makes him my favorite because I want some old guys to win. Yep. Uh, Damian Salas is the first Argentinian-born player to make the final event, uh, final main event, final table, and Antoine Sout. Sout. Good luck with that. <laughs> uh, finished third in 2009, is back in seventh in chips, and for the third time, Ben Lamb, who finished third in 2011, will have a top 14 or better finish in the main event as he rounds out this year's final table, ninth in chips. So you call him November nine? Why'd you call him that? Well, that's true. Uh, I haven't got past it. So. I'm like, right. November 9. I thought you were going to make a joke about it. That's why I didn't say anything. <laughs> we, we have our July 9. Our July 9. <laughs> it better not be November 9 because it's the cover of our magazine. We're waiting See, for it. That, that's, we could go back to the marketing there. The marketing was so good on that idea that it's stuck in my mind now. So oh, it's like you know, they changed the Ice Palace to uh, you know whatever it was. Uh, let's see. The forum, some kind of forum, right? Saint Before P- it became the St. Pete Times forum. Yeah, something like that. 
you know, hey, people so what's, call the Ice Palace, right? Yeah. What, what's more impressive to you, Ben Lamb or Antoine Saoud? Saoud. Oh. Um, well, I think, I think it's got to be Ben Lamb, right? I mean, they both finished third in their back. I mean, it's been two years longer since Antoine is, but Ben Ben Lamb now has, <laughs> I mean, three top 14 yeah. finishes. Yeah. It's amazing, including two final tables, and we, we have, this script has yet to be written, and there are a lot of people right now predicting that Ben's going to win this, even though he's ninth in chips, so um, that would make it even more impressive if he ends up winning it now, but I think uh, to finish that high in the biggest tournament uh, in the world every year, three times in, what was it? Uh, I don't know when the first one was. I think it was 2009, I think it actually was, when his first cash was. Um, so three top 14 finishes in less than eight years, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah I think so too. I just want, want to make sure you weren't going to make some case for the other guy. Ben Lamb is just incredible. Oh, I mean, they're both incredible. I'm mean, like, you know, geez. I mean, you know, imagine how many. I mean, we all dream about winning the main event, right? Yeah. But I think realistically, I think if any of us made the final table, we would be ecstatic, right? Yeah. And I'm sure our friend Lee Childs is still ecstatic that he made the final table, even though he didn't win, right? Um, that's always something that would be kind of cool. So if you could do that twice, um, any time in your life, is especially these days. I mean. Uh, you know, we talk about a lot when you go back to the old days of it when, when 80 people entered this. That's a whole different story. <laughs> We're talking yeah. like 7,000 people. And to get through uh, that field twice, or in Ben Lamb's case, almost three times, it's just, it's just you know, beyond. I, I don't know. It, the odds of it have to be better than uh, getting royal flushes at the <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we'll have to ask the math people, but right. I'm just guessing it is. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, a lot of interesting stuff here. I mean, uh, a couple, two players are 25. The one obviously must have been bored a little. I mean, our chip leader must have been born uh, later than the other one. So I think there's another player that's 26. So we still got a lot of young guns, as has been the case lately. Um, but I'm always impressed. I mean, 64 years old. Uh, this guy makes the final table. So, um He's going to be my rooting interest just because of that. Because you know, I've always say every every year I want to see an older guy win this thing because it's always young kids that win. So yeah, I'm always exhausted from playing like our five hour home game or six hour home game. This guy's 64 and he had to play for a week straight of like 14 hour days. Yeah, I don't know how you do it. Um, and the other thing that's great about poker now because again, I, the last week's show I mentioned I watched a little bit of the broadcast, and since then I've watched uh, maybe twenty minutes every couple of days. After that, you know, I'm home and home flipping channels. I'm like, oh, it's on, it's live, All right? I'll watch it. Um, and uh, it's interesting to watch the chip leaders at the time when you're watching it, and I'm like, wow, that guy's got three million chips. That's amazing. And then. Every day I wake up in the morning, I check the the list. I'm like, oh yeah, that guy's out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, Jonathan Little, uh, who used to write for us, was a chip leader for one day, and then I don't think in cash. I think he he was right on. The, he was in the effective bubble, I believe. <laughs> um, and so it, that's just amazing to go from those swings. I think too. So you know, when I woke up and I'm like, hey, we have a November nine. It's not really November nine now. Um, and I looked at it, and uh, none of the players that I watched on TV made it. And they all had big chip stacks and big chip leads at the time. So, Tournament poker is brutal. Absolutely. All right, and overall, this year's series set records in terms of entries, well, 120995 and prize money awarded $231,010,874. 
And finally, one last ep- update on Andy Upper, Steve Pavlicek, and his friends who enter the main event thanks to seats bequeathed to them from poker buddy Tom O'Meara, who passed away before he could make it to Las Vegas for poker's biggest series. Steve fought hard on day three and managed to squeak into day four with just six big blinds and was eliminated when his Queen Jack lost to Ace Trey. But he cashed, Chris. Yes. Two of the other five players made it to day three and one made it to day two. Uh, the group was featured again on ESPN broadcast, so they got a lot of airtime as they deserve to. Uh, and also got a cameo from former world champ Scotty Wynn. And uh, Steve sent us a really good email on this and uh, well, a lot of really inspirational stuff. But uh, the, this part um, was my favorite part. He said, it was a great experience. and I'm still humbled by Tom's generosity. My advice for anyone who ever dreamed of playing in the main event is do it, in all caps. Don't wait and regret it later when it's too late. If you have a bucket list item that means a lot to you, make it happen sooner rather than later. Now that Tom afforded me the opportunity to check this one off our list, I'm now working on my personal bucket list. And at the top is to run a marathon. I've talked about it for years, and at 53 years of age, it will not get any easier. But with Tom's gift, I owe it to him to try. Man, that's that's just awesome. That's like the best story of the year. Yeah, isn't it really? I mean, for us at least, because it's personal a little bit. But, I mean, that's just awesome. Awesome. So I think they had the agreement, right, where they would split no matter what money they made. So he cashed, and then the, the guys got some money back, I'm assuming. That's how it worked out, I think. They yeah, I don't remember saying. that, but... I- that makes sense. He does what they said in the email. So, but yeah, that's just fantastic. And we got a casher too. That's just awesome, man. Yeah, it was you know because again I log in in the morning and just see uh, where things are, which is great when you're on the East Coast because you know when you log in, in the morning the the website's updated, no one's playing anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I kept seeing his name on there. I kept looking for it. I'm like, all right, he's there. And then uh, then I noticed he had fallen off. But uh, it's weird. The website doesn't never updated people that got eliminated and where they were. Oh, so right. I didn't know where he was and where I knew he wasn't in anymore because he wasn't on the chip count list anymore. Um, and I knew from the day before that he made the money. Uh, I just didn't know where he finished. So it was very, very nice to, when I woke up the next morning and had an email from him that told us all this, but what a fantastic story. So yeah, yeah. I'm glad. Thanks for sharing that. Hey, any updates? Balcony anti-up poker cruise packages for two for our September 17th Galveston cruise. We'll be giving away each at LaBurge Hotel Casino in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and at LaBurge Casino Resort in Lake Charles this month. One package and $500 will go to the winner of invitational tournaments every Saturday and cash prizes of $200 to $1,000 going to the four runners-up. Players can win invitations to participate in a variety of ways, including winning daily tournaments, logging the most cash play, and being selected in social media contests. More details, visit AnnieUpCruises.com. And the 2017 Antioch World Championship has begun at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California, and will run through August 6th. The 18-event series features more than a million dollars in guarantees, including the 500K main event, three other multi-day events, and a heads-up championship. For more details on this and all Antioch Poker Tour events, visit AntiochPokerTour.com. That's why we're recording early, buddy, because you're leaving tomorrow to go there, right? Or you're, you're, you're on uh, your well, way there. Yeah, hey, uh, I'll eventually make it to California. But right. yes. You're on your way. Yeah. So very exciting, very exciting. Each week, we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com, and if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Antiup Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com, comes from Roberto Gabino. I was getting terrible cards for about an hour or so, uh, and I asked the, the deck to be washed. The next deck came, and again asked for the wash, both times tipping the dealer for this action. 
Another player at the table got all pissy when, he, when I asked for this. And it must have been Scott Long. And I said that it's my right as a player. Uh, a part of me wanted to ask for it every hand, but decided to take the high road. Although the cards didn't fare much better after the wash, it got me thinking. And then I don't know what that means. It got him thinking what? Well, I think that got me thinking. Should he have, I think, is the point. Oh, okay. All right. All right. And the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> Quit that thinking right now. Yeah, stop it. Start thinking about never asking the deck to be washed. Yeah. Um, no, I try. I responded to Roberto, and I haven't heard back, so maybe I, I offended him. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, it was not me there that got pissy. But if I was there, I would have been pissy. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, my mom yeah, does it. To give you an idea, Roberto, my mom wants it done every once in a while. Yeah. All right. That's I mean, not, it, you know, it's almost purely superstitious. Now, sometimes you know, if the, if, the, if when I say. Pure, almost purely superstitious. If you're using an automatic shuffler, you're getting a really good shuffle every time. If it's a human shuffler and it's a new dealer, maybe they're not shuffling right, and you know there is something to to get the cards mixed up. But for the most part, when when somebody asks for the deck to be washed, uh, it's pure superstition and it's a pure waste of time. And that keeps one me from getting one more hand an hour in. It keeps the casino from making. Uh, rake on one more hand keeps that dealer from making a tip on that one more hand and it's just to make you feel better as a player usually so unless you have some reason uh that you don't think that the cards are being shuffled uh properly um asking for the deck to be washed is just wasting a race time so please stop doing it <laughs> yeah i have to agree and when you if you really look at the dealer no matter how poorly you may think they're shuffling if you really think about it He's dealing about 10 cards out. Then if he's doing the flop and the turn in the river, he's dealt five there plus the burn. So you've got, I mean, you've got like half the deck already out anyway. Then he takes them in and he shuffles, 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 box. You know what I mean? There's just no way that the cards that you, you know, there's just, there is no way he's not shuffling or she's shuffling the way you want them to be shuffling. I mean, this, the wash is just purely superstitious and it does nothing. It does nothing. It, it randomizes what's already random, which is just resulting in random. It, it's it's really a waste of time. And I'm not picking on him or anything. I'm just saying a lot of people no, have these superstitions that, that they need to get. I mean, rid of. obviously, he, he seemed, hey, this is weird. This guy was, was picking on me. So, I mean, it's good that he wrote in so we could tell him, hey, here's why this guy was picking on you. Yeah. So, and he uh, says to himself, too, he says, you know, the cards didn't fare much better. Much better, yeah. yeah because it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a way that things broke down, the way you're playing or whatever. It's not washing a deck. That's just not the way to do it. And I'll tell you where I go from pissy to nuclear. <laughs> you can do that. Says, Dealer, can you wash the deck? My, I'm just not getting good cards. So if you add that, I'm just not getting good cards part, then I know it's all superstition, and now I just want to take you outside and beat the stuffing out of you. Or, you know, pay somebody to beat the stuffing out of you, because I'm a lover, not a fighter. Oh, man. <laughs> Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcastandandyatmagazine.com, and we'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. Comes from Ed. In our home game, a heads-up player moves all in, and his opponent is tanking. During the tank, another player says to the tanker villain, you have a dirty stack. A 25,000-unit chip was mixed in with the stack of 100s. The tanker said, hey, look, I have 25,000 more than I thought. Was it okay for the player to point out the dirty stack? 
Um, yeah, so this wasn't one that I thought we needed to ask Elliot about. It's probably a good discussion just for us to have in general. Um, but uh, I think that, in my opinion, this, this comes down to the one hand per player kind of thing. And, hey, the, the players involved in this hand should be the only ones that are considering chips. Um, and we had this player that wasn't in the hand then that pointed out, hey, you've got 25000 more than you thought. Which completely change or has the potential of completely changing the decision, and he is not invested in the pot anymore, and therefore shouldn't. Now the other side is you want to be sure that uh, the best interest of the game is protected as part of you as a player. But I think that's after the decision is made. You know, if somebody is now the hands over and they're like, okay, you got me covered. At that point, as a player, you need to point out, eh, that's a 25,000 unit in the middle of it, so you know, actually count the chips. That's a proper way of dealing with it. But in the middle of the hand, I think you need to shut up and let people figure out what's going on here. I agree. Uh, I want to know if we can play in this home league because we don't have our chance of getting 97 million chips. These yeah, guys have yep. 25,000 unit chips. Oh, and they have them at the table with 100 still in play. That's crazy. <laughs> you know, and I thought it was crazy when we ordered 10,000 unit chips for the crews that we've almost never used. So, but And here's a home game. They have 25,000 <laughs> unit chips. So, Ed, yeah, I, I want to know, what, what's your starting stack here uh, in, the, in this league that you eventually color up to 25,000 unit chips? But. I think these guys, when they shove all in at the end, it's got 97 million uh, riding in that pot. We should be in this league. Now, I will say in between hands, it's always nice to point out a dirty stack to yes. someone. Some players get upset when you do it. They're like, I know. We're going to fix it later. No, you weren't. You were an idiot. You didn't know it. You just don't like being told that. But I'm going to tell you anyhow. Um, but but definitely, it's good to point that out. Um, uh, because it is a little bit unfair. I mean, it's part of the rules of, of, of poker is that you're supposed to keep your stacks visible in countable stacks and chips properly in the right place. So a dirty stack is actually, whether you meant to or not, um, a violation of that so players can't uh, count your stack right. So, uh, again, I very nicely point out, hey, you got a dirty stack there, and hope the player isn't a Deutsche Bank and yells back at me. But in the middle of the hand, I'm never going to say, oh, yeah, hey, by the way, in case you're not going to call because (laughs) you think you're going to be knocked out, I just want to let you know that you're totally not going to be knocked out because you got one of those great 25K chips. That just seems really wrong. <laughs> yeah, during the hand is wrong because you're right. But after the hand, it's your obligation to tell someone they have a dirty stack because you're supposed to. You're supposed to look out for players. Or make sure and that's, the payout's correct too. Yeah, so. exactly. So you're not doing anything wrong. Uh, just a reminder: our O'Malley's move is a tournament ride along. Uh, we're going to treat this just like regular O'Malley's moves. We're going to refresh our memories with uh, each episode as we move forward. So here comes the uh, debut episode of Tournament Ride Along. Hello, and welcome to a special tournament ride-along edition of O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. For the next several episodes, we will be sitting in a tournament in Wendover, Nevada at the Montego Bay Casino. We won our seat into this tournament, which has a buy-in of $200, so we're essentially free-rolling. There are 84 players, and the top prize is over $6,000. Top 10 get paid. Everybody starts with 6000 in units. Levels are 20 minutes. We're in the first round, blinds are 25-50, and the tournament has been going on for about 10 minutes. We've seen several hands, folded all of them, and are now in the small blind with the seven of clubs, four of clubs. It's limped around to us, 
we complete the blind. The big blind checks, and with 200 in the pot, the flop is the ace of spades, six of clubs, five of diamonds. Action's on us. Are we leading out here or checking? What's the move? I wish I knew how many players were in the hand, uh, but no one raised pre-flop, so I feel a little safer than usual betting out here. Uh, I'll be happy to take it down, uh, but if we're called, uh, our open-ender and backdoor flush is well-disguised. Yeah, I might bet out here because uh, people might think we hit a baby two pair. So I bet half the pot maybe or something. And if I'm wrong, I'm open-ended. If I'm right, I've taken down a decent pot already uh, just because we're just starting out early in the tournament. So might as well, you know, might as well try to make a move here and represent what a small blind would have in this situation. And if we get called enough for a run, we have backdoor flush and open-end straight draws. So I don't mind betting here. It's kind of an interesting thing just because you have the ace out there and it's hard for us to represent an ace. So then a really smart player is going to kind of look at this and think, and you're right, the best we could hope for is they think that we have 6-5 or something like that. But if they start thinking about it and see 7-4 is a possibility. Yeah. I mean, I'll bet half the pot or so just to to put some feelers out there. They may think that we – if they all limped, then maybe they don't have the ace either. So they'll think you're – your two pair or your six is good. Or you might have some random ace. Who knows? And if not, you get called. or If you get raised, then it's a decision. But if you get called, not too, it's really not too bad. You're open-ended and backdoor clubs. So, yeah, exactly. You know, so let's, let's – and if you take it down now, you take it down now. Here comes episode two. Hello again. I'm going to bet on the come. We make it 150 to go. Two players fold, but the button calls. A beautiful eight of spades hits the turn. If this guy has an ace, we're golden. There's 500 in the pot. We bet 350. He thinks for a time and then folds. So it's on to round two. Blinds are 5100, and we're in the MP with the Ace of Hearts, Queen of Hearts. We make it 400 to go and get two callers: the button and the big blind. The flop comes down: the Ace of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds, Eight of Clubs. The big blind checks to us. There's 1300 in the pot, and we lead out for 750 leaving us about 47.50 behind. The button thinks for a short time before shoving. We know almost nothing about this guy. Early in the tournament, he seems to play a reasonable amount of hands. He's won two pots and lost a medium-sized one, but has not shown down a hand. He has 3,900 units. The big blind folds, and it's to us. What's the move? All right, it's time for the advanced pokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to advanced poker training, the world's number one poker training site. Uh, Long time anti upper Dave Beeson back in the house, Chris. Yes. And uh, he says he's playing uh, one, two, no limit, hold him in a casino. Uh, maybe five hands in, and the table's mostly passive, but there are two very aggressive players in seats seven and eight. Will raise to twelve to eighteen bucks with pretty wide ranges. Uh, he says, uh, from the, what little I've seen, any face card is raisable. Hmm. Um, uh, he says, I'm in the big blind and seat three, seats four and five call. The maniacs fold. So, um, thanks for all that extra information <laughs> that we didn't need to know about. <laughs> uh, and the button calls. Um, doesn't mention anything about the small blind here, but it's on us in the big blind. Uh, with the Ace of Diamonds, Five of Spades. Uh-oh. I'm gonna pause for a minute. I can't. I can't help but bring this up because the show's the show's got plenty of time on our show this week. So, <laughs> last night it's so funny you did that. Last night I was watching a rerun of Cheers, 
And for those who don't watch the show, tough, you're going to hear it. Um, so Frazier walks into the bar, and he sees Woody behind the bar with a cast on his hand and his thumbs in the cast. And he's like, Woody, what happened to your thumb? What happened? He said, well, you know, I was playing pool last night, and uh, I got up uh, to make a really tough shot. It was one of those awkward shots, and I, and I got the pool stick up way up high and had to sit awkwardly on the table, uh, and then I made the shot. And then uh, won the game, and then when I was, uh, you know, walking home, I slipped on the ice and I broke my thumb. And he's like, "Wait, why did you tell me about all that other stuff?" And he, and he's like, he's like, "Well, I thought you'd want to know about the story, you know." And he's like, "I want." So another guy walks in and uh, says to him, "Hey, Woody, what happened to your thumb?" He goes, "Oh, I fell on the ice, broke my thumb." Frazier says, well, "Why didn't you tell him all the story you told me?" He goes, "Well, because I was playing pool with him last night." <laughs> So maybe he, you know Dave thinks that we were playing at the table with him, and one of us wasn't. I don't know, but anyway, it's the same story. Um, all right, so we have Ace Five, and a bunch of people limped, and we're in the blind. So I'm not doing anything. I'm just checking and hoping I hit a nice flop. Yep, exactly. We're two wheel cars, and we got some potential here. But uh, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I have to keep firing out with a weak ace, right? Yeah, you raise to take it, and you get what six dollars. And you might even get re-raised. You might lose that raise to someone else who's going to be like, "Aha, I trapped you!" Or just, just be happy to check. Yeah. All right. Uh, here it says check or raise. I'm not excited about this hand. It has wheel opportunities, but with the maniacs, I figure at least two of these guys, Heat and four or five, have decent hands, and the button could have anything. So I guess that's the point: is that these players call knowing that they had the maniac stack behind them, but they yes. still call. Yes, that's a good point. Too. Uh, so I have decent hands, and the button could have anything, so I check. All right. So far, we're all in agreement. Yep. Flop comes the ace of hearts, deuce of clubs, four of clubs, $6 in the pot after the rake in the bad B jackpot, and apparently a small buy must have got out because it's on us. Um, I'm going to bet. I, I think that uh, – I, I mean, I, I know uh, we brought up Lee Childs today. He, he doesn't like us to say this, but I, I want to know now – if somebody's got something that they're going to push back with, you know, a lot of guys limp with suited aces that are small baby aces or whatever. Um, but I've hit my ace. I've got a wheel draw. I really am not comfortable with a check raise, and I'm not comfortable with free cards here because three to a wheel's out, two to a straight, a flush is out, I mean. So I don't mind betting here, and if I take it down, I do, and if I don't, I'll reassess after that. But you got aces, you got a wheel draw, and you've got limpers. So I really feel like we need to put some money out there. I don't want to give somebody a free card to make a a crappy baby straight, you know, or, you know, flush on me. So I'm going to bet. Um, so there's six in the pot. I'd probably bet, believe it or not, this is such a small pot. I mean, yeah, you got to bet the pot, I'd right? i bet the pot. <laughs> if I had 10 bucks, maybe. I don't know. Because somebody reverse implied odds or something. Yeah. I don't know whatever you call it, but... You know, yeah, let's bet the pot or five, six, uh, six yeah. bucks, something like that. This is definitely a six-dollar bet for me here, and we'll see what happens after that. But, um, again, it's hard for anybody to put us on an ace because we didn't raise, particularly after the Maniacs got out. That's the other thing, part of this. So I guess it was good that he talked about this, is that now the Maniacs are out. So, you know, if we, we, we should have been more emboldened in the blinds to raise than we normally would have because we wouldn't have to worry about the, the re-raise as much as we should have. So, um I would think that people would think that if we had an ace, we would raise. So we get a little extra credit for that. Plus the the fact that if a trade comes, we have I have a wheel, um, even though it's not the nuts. But right, 
um, certainly we're six bucks here just to see where we are. And um, again, ecstatic to take down the pot right now. Yeah. Not have to fight yep. anymore. Absolutely. All right. Our hero says, I bet $5. Couldn't spare the extra buck. <laughs> That's a nice red chip, though. You just throw it in there. <laughs> the wait- cocktail waitress coming. They needed to keep that dollar. <laughs> Uh, he says, I'm hoping to take it down right here uh, if I have the only ace. Uh, seats four and five call, but the button folds. So three-handed to the turn, which is the five of diamonds. So the board now is ace of hearts, deuce of clubs, four of clubs, five of diamonds. So giving us two pair and potentially somebody else a wheel. Um, and with squiggly 20 in the pot, what is our action? We got aces up, top two. Um... Yeah, a three, a random three gives somebody the wheel, but I can't be I can't be just scared of every hand on the planet, never mind a three, a random three from those seats. They were limping early on in the hand. I I just can't put them on a three. And even if we have a three, they have a uh, three, then we, we still have outs to boat up as well, too, so that mitigates my fear for that. Yeah, yeah, we could hit the same of- three as well, so make the same wheel on the board, so you're right. So you have threes, you got boat outs. Um, I just don't I don't buy somebody has a three here, so... I'm gonna well, the problem with the tray comes on the river is now we're all splitting it unless somebody has a six in their hand, so... So let's let's get one I'm person out at least so that yeah. we can split it with one person instead of two if it happens, but that's I'm not worried about the three. I'm worried about, you know... I'm not worried about anything, really. I have well, the other thing, too, is that uh, even with the six dollars that we bet... Or five, I'm sorry, the five on the flop... I could see some club draws sticking around, right? Um, so we still have a club draw that we need to worry about here. So, you know, I think I'm going pot again here. I'm going 20 bucks on this. Yeah, I have to agree. $20 makes sense to me. So let's do it. All right. Uh, Here says, I figure this is the time to make uh, the flush draws and bigger ace hands pay to see the river. I make it 20 to go. Wow. Same. All right. Aside from that dollar you got cheap on us, uh, <laughs> flop bet, we're good. Uh, seat four folds, uh, but seat five raises to 75. Hmm. Back to us, and it's heads up now. All right, so we had about 180 to start the hand. We've put 26 plus the twos, 28, or 26 out there. I guess the twos. So we still have a one, a 150 something. So half my stack for that. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call the raise. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't know if I'm gonna re-raise. I'm gonna call the raise and see what happens. And I just don't think he has a. Well, if I really don't think he has a three, I might re-raise again, hoping he has something like Ace Ten, you know, and didn't raise with it. Because or, he's ace four. Of, or Ace Four. Ace Four. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm loving Ace Four, Ace Deuce. I'm just. Um, yeah, if he if he has if he has the straight already. Would he raise or would he wait one more street? Because he's not. Is he really worried about? Are we really betting a flush draw every every yeah, street? Exactly. Here? Yeah, he's making a mistake raising here if he's got uh, got the wheel. I yeah, think. Yeah. So maybe I do. Maybe I just shove on him because it's half my stack anyway. When he bets that, or well, not really. I have to call fifty five. So it's a third of my stack. I don't know. I maybe I maybe I re-raise him. Maybe I well, you him. know, I understand the logic there too. I wonder if we if we have a better shot of getting a stack by just calling and not because if he doesn't have the tray here, and now we shove over the top, he's got to have ace deuce or ace four to call us, right, or a set. Yeah, and we were in the blinds, 
So that's the other thing is he could think we have three five and we're betting yeah, at the and if he has a set, then yeah, uh, then he's going to be worried now that we have a tray because now he has you know he has to worry about the same new outs for uh, that we're hoping for. So I almost think that we might might profit more here by calling and then having him take another stab on the river. So you think we call check? And then who's value if some rag comes on the river, or do you think we... Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that we're taking a little bit of a risk there. I mean, but here's the thing. If we raise all in now and he and he's bluffing, he's gone, right? Yeah. He's not going to put another dollar in this pot. Um, or if he calls, he probably has his beat. Um, there are a couple hands that would call that we have beat right now. but um, And then, then we're going to have to catch up, and we may not be able to catch up depending on what he has. So... Uh, but if we call now, now we keep the option open of getting some more money um, on the river um, and also allowing ourselves some option to get out of this mess if we really don't like where it's headed for some reason. I can't imagine what would come that would make me want to fold to whatever Betty makes on the river. But um, I think I'd rather check. And then if he checks behind because he doesn't have a big hand, he probably wasn't going to give us anything anyhow, right? right? But give him the option of bluffing one more street or not – or semi-bluffing if he has a, a worst hand in us that thinks he's good, um, where we might scare him away by shoving here. So I think that's why I want to call. A call, check the river, um, you know, unless we boat. Maybe if we boat, I think we have to put a boat uh, um, boat up. We have to put a bed in. But And then hope he t- and then call whatever he does on the river. And, you know, it's the same amount of money that we're talking about here or less. So it gives us a chance to save a little money if we're wrong and an opportunity of getting more money out of them um, if he doesn't have as big of a hand as we think. The one hand that's sticking in my head is a suited ace of clubs. That's the that one hand be, I'm worried about because he, he called. And he, he, a lot of people limp with suited aces, baby aces. They just want to make that nut flush. So he calls. He's got a pair of aces and a flush draw. He, now he raises us because he's semi-bluffing with the nut flush draw and a pair of aces. Um, could be aces up, you know, because um, uh, he could have the ace of clubs, five of clubs, for all we know. And we have the same hand as us, but he's free rolling. Um, he could have ace seven of clubs, something like that. So ace nine of clubs. So he, he could have like a hand that I'm, that's the only hand I'm really concerned about at this point. Um, right. but, but, but playing it the way you're playing it, I'm not really too concerned because I call. And then if the club doesn't get there, then I can feel confident in, in checking and calling his bluff or checking and calling to control the pot so yeah let's let's call i i probably would have called i i I was just if i ran it through my head and i was confident he didn't have a three you're right i was thinking let's end it now but and i think that's a good discussion to have because that's usually where it comes is like hey if we've decided that more than likely we have the best hand here we need to raise generally speaking right right well but then we got to remember we got another street to go so we're, we're not playing every hand per street we're playing it the entire hand so the ultimate goal is to get as much value out of it as possible and i think and i think everything that we thought about here i think that we have a better chance of getting more value out of this hand by calling yeah and then the other thing that comes back to mind is i just don't put him on a three because of those maniacs behind him who's gonna who's gonna limp in with a three in their hand and then know that these maniacs are gonna make it 20 to go and then now you've got it that's Not, actually a really good point. Too. Right, yeah. so I, I definitely don't put him on the three. It's just the suited ace of clubs. Aside from a pocket, maybe pocket trace, that would be the only right, thing. Right, right. 
And now I can see pocket trays maybe raising here because now that hand's pretty vulnerable and not going to improve. Right. Well, improve, I guess, but. Yeah, he could be afraid yeah, of withdraw himself if he's got the wheel. Yeah. I just don't put him on the. That's that's it. Happy one very specific hand, and I hate doing that when I'm playing poker. Is putting him on one hand because I'm always going to fold to that one hand, you know, the one nut hand or the one hand that beats me. They got to stop doing that. So I, I don't put him on pocket threes. I, I think we're ahead, but we have to be cautious here. Let's call. All right. Uh, here it says, I don't see this guy limping in with a random tray. Uh, the maniacs in seats seven and eight are punishing limpers, so I had to put this guy in a hand he's willing to call ten plus dollars on. Yeah, Eliminate nice. most pocket pairs. The ace flop and four callers wouldn't see this kind of aggression with six six. The king king past the flop. Pocket trays probably wouldn't call a pot size flop bet with action behind. Yeah, I don't know about that. Remember the pot size bet six. Yeah, bucks, he bet right? five bucks. So. Five bucks. Yeah. Uh, that leaves the potential range as ace-deuce, ace-tray, ace-four, ace-five, and possibly suited uh, ace-plus, uh, ace-six through ten. Uh, and he says this guy raised uh, on a- raised with ace-jack the hand before, or pocket-deuces, fours, and fives, and any decent flush draw. So I'm in trouble against ace-tray and the flop sets. But had the other ace any hands beat right now. I finally decide that he was on an ace and I have most of those beat. I raise all in about 175 bucks. Hmm. All right. That's where we started. So let's see what happens. Uh, he thanks for just long enough that I start to feel confident. He eventually calls and turn over the ace of clubs, six of clubs. Oh, yeah. Yep. Shot straight and the flush draw. The river is to seven of hearts. And we pull in the pot with two pair. Ace is up. He says, uh, was I crazy to get it all in here, to have him wake up on the turn like that? The more I think about it, the more I believe he is just trying to push me off of ace any and stuck around for the potential flush draw or random trade or the nut straight. He had 13 ounce. This may be a leak in my game where I let myself get into trouble with huge pots without the nuts, or am I just too worried about the crazy calls some of these guys make? I've seen worse calls, like somebody holding on to tray seven here uh, for five bucks, hoping to see a five on the turn. From his perspective, how could he possibly call the hundred-hour raise with three out, thirteen outs? I had the pressure on uh, on from the flop. I like playing against these types when they don't make their draws, but fail to see how he talked himself into this call. Okay, well, this opens up a whole new discussion. Really, I I, I don't have a problem with this guy playing it the way he played it. I, I, to me, first of all, five dollars is nothing in cash games and casinos. I mean, guys sneeze and five dollars falls out of their nose. Um, five dollars in a six dollar pot. I mean, yeah, you, statistically, you've made it. You know, hey, this guy bet. But really, he limped with a suited ace, like everyone does, especially in one two no limit. Everyone limps with a suited ace, you know, a baby ace. So he did that. You were in the blinds with ace five, so you were fortunate to have an ace five in your hand. And then when he hit that flop, he had the nut flush draw, and. Uh, nut flush draw and top pair on an all limped competition. Right. So when you bet out, he's like, ah, you're in the blinds. Maybe you hit the the four, you know, or maybe you got some sort of random kind of like the ride along we were just talking about, but yeah. where you know maybe you hit two pair. But I've got the nut flush draw. Now I don't really believe that you have an ace, but now I've picked up a wheel draw and a straight draw. A better straight draw than if the wheel comes, you're going to think we both had the wheel and we're splitting it. And I'm going to take your whole stack. Exactly. There's yeah. a whole bunch of stuff that this guy would totally raise with. And then when you shove on him, he's like, well, wait a minute. I still have threes for outs, any clubs for outs, two sixes for outs if I if it's up against aces up. You know, I mean, to him, he's like, 
And he doesn't even know what you have. You could have dues four because you were in the blinds. So that means he picks up any five as an out. You know, I mean, it, another ace as an out. So, I mean, he doesn't know what you have, but to have 13 outs and on top of it, there was, uh, let's see, you made it five to go, had two callers, that's 15. So there was about 20 in the pot. You bet, there's 21 in the pot. You bet 20 and got a call. So that's 40 in the 20. That's 60. You know what I mean? And then so he makes it 75. That's 55 more. That's 115. And then you shove 170. He's got basically $300. He's got to call 100 to win 300. And he's got the nut flush draw and top pair and a wheel draw and a straight draw. I mean, he's got all these things. I don't, I don't fault him for doing that for th- with 13 outs on the last card. We always say, when we say, well, if we're wrong, we have a set, we still have 10 outs to boat up. Everyone says that when the river's coming. Everyone. This guy had 13 outs and he didn't even know what you had. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could have had, so he could have had more outs in his mind if you just had deuced four. So I don't, I don't dislike the way this guy played it. I, Sometimes if I have the nut flush draw on top pair, I might raise you after that flop and get you off your hand because I don't like to get it in there with people who like to stick around for nothing. I like to take pots down and move on. But I don't have a problem with the way you played it at all. How about you? No, I think here's the other interesting thing is that if you if you were the A6 guy, right, and on the turn when he raises there, um, let's say we know – and we can't know, but let's say we we know that we as heroes have the wheel already. Would you still make the same play? And I I would argue you might because this is a way to get that guy's stack. Where if you wait until the river when your flush gets there, that person might slow down or might uh, not make that call. Right. So it's almost a, it, it's it's a weird thing to say, but sometimes you actually want to commit your opponent with a better hand because you know you're not going to get paid off if you make your hand. And then you have that possibility that you're wrong with it where they have any hand, you're ahead. Yep. Here he wasn't ahead, but he had a lot of outs that could catch up. But, um, you know, he got us to commit our stack um, in a way that if the flush got there in the river, I don't know what we would have done. I mean, if if a club came on the river and we weren't already all in, there's a chance that we wouldn't have put more money in the pot, right? Right. If we check any value bets like 60, I'm looking at aces up shriveling. You know, yeah. I mean, now, especially if something like, yeah, like a, a decent club comes, even if it's like nine of clubs, now you're like, well, now my aces up might not be good. This guy might have ace nine. You know, he might, you know, so a lot of, a lot of cards make you scared there at the end. And then you don't, and then you end up folding. He doesn't get any more money out of you. I, but I, I can't see this guy folding. And I can't believe. Yeah, I just I can't believe that he he would look at thirteen plus and maybe even more outs. He might even think you have more outs than that. You know, he might even think he's ahead. He might oh, think yeah, you absolutely. were you know yeah. you were bluffing too. So there's a lot of reasons to make that call, in my mind. Um, it might just be because I, I'm an Omaha player, but I always like betting draws. Um, and I know in in Omaha makes it's proper to more often than in in Nolan and Hold'em, but. I, I do like to bet my draws and hold them too because of that, and uh, because it's, it's harder to get paid off when they get there. So, I guess that's why I, I, I'm going to defend this guy pretty, pretty strongly on um, his raise there. Yeah, uh, and I don't think it's really the raise that that Dave was was talking about. It's more the call after we shoved over top of him on that. But at that point, so much money is in the pot, and we have so many different outs. And it's really hard to put Dave on a hand here, too. I mean, there's all kinds of – his range is pretty wide, too, right? Right. 
Um, and you're right. I mean, it's possible possible that we <laughs> might even be ahead with our, our naked ace there. I mean, it's hard to say for sure, but uh, we had a lot of outs for it. So I once I've committed that 75 on that turn, I, I can't see myself folding for another 100 on top. No. No. And the other thing, too, is even if you, as the small blind, had something like 3-6 or 3-5 and you flopped the wheel and you somehow bet into him, which no one would ever think you did that. So that the way you played it tells him you don't have the wheel. But even if you did have the wheel, he still has the flush draw to beat you, and he still has a three to beat you because he makes the six high straight. So, I mean, he's got he's doing the classic semi-bluff with that raise that you see in the Theory of Poker by Sklansky. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a classic, hey, okay, I'm betting, but I have outs. That's the key. And this guy had to your count 13 but to him it could have been even more so could have been more yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm with you on that Scott I love to bet my draws um, I've stopped shoving on flush draws you know like when I because people love to call but um, I love to bet my draws and then when they get there you know people just have no you know they don't put you on it because you're betting it so strong so I love betting my draws too alright well Dave uh, thanks for sending in the hand uh, you've been a part of the show for a long time so always appreciate that from our listeners I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Anti Up is a production of AntiUpMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at AntiUpMagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at AntiUpMagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.